Hey, this is Candace Pringle, lead pastor of FE Church, and this is our podcast. All right, this is a brand new sermon series called The Wrong Question. I don't know about you, but I have very often asked God the wrong question. Again, not a dumb question, but I believe there is such a, like, don't keep asking me the same question over and over and over. Any parents in the room relate to, that's a dumb question. You've asked me already. I have answered, don't ask it again. That's a dumb question. But there are wrong questions that I ask all the time of God. And it feels very, very much like the right question in the moment. But it very quickly hits me that it's the wrong question because of how God answers. Anyone else feel like God has a sense of humor sometimes? Right? Like pride comes before a fall is taken a little too literally sometimes. Like here I am bragging about something and just then fall smack on my face. I learned a long time ago in this to stop talking about how early I am to things. I tend to be, Aaron and I both just, we tend to be early to everything. Even when we try to be late, we are somehow, we end up being early. And lateness is like this, it's anxiety to me. I don't like being late to anything. Hate it. It makes me uncomfortable and stressed. Even when I try to be late, I just, it doesn't happen. Still somehow end up the first one there. But I know now not to brag about that. Because it's like the second that I do... (laughs) that's when I'm late to something, right? Like just then, a car breaks down, a kid pukes right as we're walking out the door, something happens, unavoidable, and I'm late immediately after I brag about it. God has a sense of humor, right? He has a funny way of humbling us. But you know what? He warned us. Pride comes before a fall is one of those sayings that we often think is biblical. It actually is. Proverbs 16, 18, pride comes before a fall, This is sometimes how I feel when I ask God questions, too. Like, why me, God? I ask him that one a lot. Or or like, how long do I have to endure this? Are you going to help me out here? When does this get better? I ask God these questions a lot. And usually, God answers in like this very still, small voice. It's a whisper to my heart when I'm quiet enough to to actually hear it. And and suddenly, I can stop asking that question. And suddenly, my perspective changes. It's usually just a word or two, just a feeling, a reminder. Maybe that he's there, that he's listening, that it will all be okay. But, But usually, there's also an edge to it. God's saying, really? (laughs) Like, you're doing a whole lot of complaining here, Candice Lee. You always know it's a little bit of an edge when they use your middle name. Uh, Like, it's, it's God saying, come on, like, wipe your tears, get up, let's get to work fixing this thing, right? And maybe he gives me compassion for somebody that I'm complaining about, or maybe he gives me a kick in the pants, like, get your act together, you're the one complaining here, let's go. But it's almost never the answer that I expect to hear or want to hear. Nine times out of 10, I ask God a question and I end up 
feeling a little sheepish at the end of it. A little humbled, a little more ready to do what needs to be done. There are so many examples of people doing this throughout the word. I absolutely love reading through the gospels because I just keep coming across so many of these examples with Jesus. People ask him questions all the time. And the crazy thing is, although he answers them, there are words coming out of his mouth. He rarely answers the question that they asked, right? He says words, but I'm often like, what? What? Like, you didn't answer their question. They asked the question. You, you're saying something else. If, if I were the person doing the asking in those moments, I would have been just flabbergasted, bewildered, utterly confused. Because that wasn't even in the realm of the question that I asked. What are you talking about, Jesus? And Jesus' answers can also sometimes be sarcastic, which is fun. I like... <laughs> I like reading when God can be sarcastic. Uh, sometimes Jesus' answers are stern and serious. They can be quiet and calm. They can be compassionate. But it's almost never the voice, the attitude with which I expect. The more I think about it, the less I think we actually ever get, we actually ever ask the right question. And I want to show you an example of this today. And to me, we're really starting off this series with like the quintessential example of this with Jesus and his disciples. And the passage we're going to read today actually shows up in four different places in the word. It was kind of difficult to pick which one to preach from today. Uh, but it, it's actually, we're going to read the Acts passage, but it's also found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke just filtered through their different personalities. And anytime I mention this, I like to remind you of the different personalities of each one of the gospel writers, because this is just so interesting. Matthew tends to tell us, and I'm, just to give you a background, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the four gospels of the Bible. They're disciples who follow Jesus, and they're now writing about it, right? And sometimes we find some overlap, some of the similar stories in all of those books, um, but told a little bit differently. Matthew tends to tell us the excellent side of things. Regal, respectable, powerful. He wants to show you those sides of Jesus. Right? He, he gives us an attention to detail. Nothing is out of order in the book of Matthew. He, he quoted the Old Testament the, the most because he wanted to show you all of this is happening in order. He was the accountant, the detail guy. Okay, then there's Mark, who's really teaching us all about the servanthood of Jesus. So there's no genealogy in the book of Mark because who would want to know the pedigree of a servant? Jesus put others first. We should put others first. He's showing us the servanthood of Jesus. Luke was trying to show us Jesus as a man, a human his relationship side, right? And then John is trying to show us that Jesus was God, his sovereign side. He was good and holy and God-like, right? Sovereign. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all tell us different sides of things. They're filtered through their different personalities and what they wanted the reader to see. So we know from Matthew's gospel that this account that we're gonna read today happened on a mountain in Galilee, Jesus had asked them to meet him here. 
okay? This is after the crucifixion, after the resurrection, after Jesus had spent 40 days showing up to the disciples. And he said, guys, meet me here on this day. I have something else to teach you. Being the passionate, obedient disciples, they showed up, right? So we're gonna read in Acts 1, verse 6, this account. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? There it is. First verse of this passage, there's the question. The wrong question. Has the time come for you to free us and restore our kingdom? Has the time finally come for our suffering, our subjugation, our enslavement to end? For us to be in charge and make all the rules? Our bondage to these Romans. Are you finally going to free us and end all of it? Do we finally get to say, I told you so to the world? Can we be the victors for once? Drive the enemy out of town. Kill them all like the good old days. Look, I get the question. I I really do deeply. I understand where they're coming from because I think I've asked my own version of this question so many times before. My own version of this question would be, when do I get to win? Finally. When, when do I get to smite my enemies? <laughs> when do I get to, to live the good life? Relax a little bit, right? It's all about me. All of those questions are me, me, me. My me monster comes out in those questions a bit. I tell on myself with those questions a bit. <laughs> These guys are telling on themselves a little bit. You know, for the last 400 years before Jesus showed up, the Jews hadn't been busy reaching out to the communities around them, uh, the communities of the world, and showing the love of Jehovah God to them. They had been spent, they had spent the last 400 years isolating themselves whenever possible. Looking down on the rest of the world, developing prejudices against people who, who, who believed even slightly different than them, like the Samaritans, for example. Subjugating the poor, using religion to do it. They had been doing all of the wrong things for the past 400 years, and all they could think about was themselves. That's not why God gave them the promised land back in Exodus. That's not what God had intended. He wanted them to be a light, to be a city on a hill that couldn't be hidden. He wanted them to be prosperous, yes, but not just for their own sake, so that it could overflow onto the nations around them, so they could be shown a life that is good in Jehovah's sight. That was their purpose. They had not been living their purpose as the nation of Israel. God had an entirely different plan in mind for the nation of Israel and the world through them, but all they could see was themselves. They thought they deserved the love of Jehovah. They thought they were entitled to it. When they asked this wrong question, all these guys could see was all of that. I mean, three years of following Jesus, you would think... 
I don't know. Sometimes I, I watch the, the show Chosen, and it, it, have any of you watched that yet? It's an amazing show. It gives you the perspective of the disciples a lot more. And the more that I watch that and, and read through their accounts again, I get it a little bit. But on the other hand, I just kind of want to shake them. <laughs> you follow Jesus for three years, guys. You don't know that this is coming yet? Like, you still think he's going to ride into town on a white horse and kick out the Romans and it would just be for Israel? It's, it sounds laughable 2,000 years later. That's not what Jesus came to do. He didn't just come for Israel in that time and place, but for all of us forever. He came to do something so much bigger than they could see or even fathom in that moment. This is what that verse means where God can do exceedingly abundantly more than we could ask for or think of. We're often thinking of today, now, my little world, just like these guys. When God has so much more, so he can see so much more. His plan is so much bigger than we can even think to ask for. He has so much more in mind. And when he's breaking generational curses in your life, he's not just thinking of you, but all of the generations that come after you, right? He can see so much more than our limited perspective. Could Jesus have restored their kingdom? Freed Israel? Become the king for that time and age? Absolutely, he could have. But that was not the father's instructions. All right, that was not the plan. Probably Israel would have just continued living their, their best life, their selfish, religious life for their own sake and not done a thing with it for everybody else in the world. That's not the freedom God had in mind. God had us in mind. 2,000 years later, we were on God's mind. And the generations that, coming, that come after us, we're still freeing the captives and restoring people to him because Jesus had a much bigger plan in mind. So they asked this wrong question. What was Jesus's answer? All right, now we can sort of understand why it's wrong. But how did Jesus answer? Verse seven. He replied, remember the question. Let me just read the question again. Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? And he replies, the father alone has the authority to set those dates and times and they are not for you to know. Not for you to know. Jesus basically just said, none of your beeswax. You don't get to know. There is an answer, but you don't know it and you won't know it because it's not for you. It will happen, but you won't know when. Does this give anybody else a little bit of panic, anxiety? No, it's just me. Cool, I, I'm, I'm a planner. I like to know things. I like to know what's coming. Type A person, like, I like to have all my ducks in a row. The fact that God knows and I can't know, I don't like it. I'm just gonna be honest. Right? I mean, I, uh, God knows the answer. He just refuses to tell us. And yet, that knowledge should give me peace. 
right? The, the fact that well, when I actually try to wrap my head around that and accept it, the reality is that God knows everything and I know so little, so little compared to him. And there's a freedom in that. I don't have to be in control all the time because he is. I don't have to know everything all the time because he does. He's got it. He's in control. He's better at planning than I am. And he knows me better than I even know myself. There's a freedom in that if I can actually get a hold of it. If I can actually let him take the wheel. Jesus, take the wheel, right? We often grab it back all the time. We are the worst backseat drivers when it comes to letting Jesus take the wheel. We can't just give it over to him. He knows so much more than we know. He is perfectly capable, perfectly capable of handling it. I am so imperfectly capable of, I'm so not capable of handling it is what I'm trying to say. He can handle all of my stuff if I can just trust him. And Jesus here is saying, there may be an answer to your question, but it might not be for you to know. It's an answer to your question, guys, but you don't get to know it. Can you trust me anyway? Maybe you're currently asking God a question that there's an answer to, but it's not for you to know yet. Can you be okay with that? Can you trust God anyway? Can you trust that he can see more than you can? That, that he can do the highest and best possible good? Not just what you can imagine and think of, but the best good. Sometimes people come with prayer requests and they're all over the place with their answers. Maybe God can heal me. Maybe God can do this surgery. Maybe God can, like there's so many different, what are we actually asking God for? Like you define what you want first. What do you want here? Let's ask God for that. Now, is that the best possible good that you have faith for? Because guess what? God can do even more than that. You, you think, you imagine the best possible thing that could come out of the scenario that you're praying about. Now imagine God can do more. Let's ask him for that. Let's ask him for the best that we can think of and then believe that he can better it. He can beat it. Can you trust God through not knowing everything? Jesus says the Father has the authority to set those dates and times and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power, verse eight, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Today, this makes sense. We get this. We understand the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, right? We, we understand that he fell with fire and it set the, the disciples on a track to change the world with the message of the gospel. Can you imagine how crazy it sounded to them for just a minute? Right? We, they, here they are on top of a mountain. Jesus asked us to, like, they thought they were going to start the movement here. Has the time finally come, Jesus? Are we going to ride down this mountain and go liberate Israel and be the good guys? Like, is this the moment when everything changes? A second later, Jesus disappears. <laughs> what? <laughs> What do you mean power? What do you mean Holy Spirit? Like, what do you mean I have to be a witness to, to everyone? Like, what? They had to have been so 
confused. We know that they were confused because of what happens next. But you just gotta like feel the questions going through their mind in this moment. If not now, God, when? Like the question was when, and you just told me never or to be continued or TBD. Like I don't. That's not an answer. Haven't we waited long enough? What do you What do you mean power when the Holy Spirit comes upon? Will you not be here? They still weren't understanding that Jesus was leaving them. Didn't understand what was about to happen. Verse nine. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching and they could no longer see him. Can you imagine the feeling of finally getting Jesus back? Right? They lost him on the cross. The heartbreak that must have come with that as disciples. Like, oh. They probably questioned everything that they had just gone through over the past three years. And then he shows up again. And then he leaves in a cloud. I just can't even imagine what they were thinking and feeling. And they strained to see him rising into heaven. One of the other gospels says that they sort of set up camp. Like they weren't leaving. They were gonna stay there until Jesus came back. Maybe he was just going to talk to God and he's coming back, guys. Let's just... Uh, he didn't say what to do. Let's just wait, right? We'll just camp out here. But as they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Like, I would think that would be obvious. We're waiting for Jesus, guys. Why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. And I think at that point, the disciples were like, yeah, we'll wait till someday. We're fine with that. Like, we'll just camp here. We'll wait. And he's like, no, get off the mountain. Go be the witnesses that Jesus just empowered you to do, right? Jesus didn't answer the question they wanted to hear, but he did tell them what they needed to hear. You will receive power to be my witnesses. He gave them the how. He gave them the where. Throughout Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He gave them a mission. I'm getting ahead of myself. But he basically, he said, guys, you got to get to work. He told them what they needed to hear. Not what they wanted to hear. And I think Jesus does this to me all the time. I don't often get the answer to the question that I'm asking. What I want to hear is, is often selfish. I want God to pat me on the back and tell me I'm doing a good job and the world stinks and everybody's against me. And, right? I want him to help me, make it easier for me. Isn't most of our prayers like, God, give me a good day today. We just want to sail through life. No problems, no anxieties, no fears. We just want God to give us smooth sailing. Is that what the Bible ever says? He's going to give us smooth sailing? No, he doesn't. I was hoping for a, a no there. No, the Bible doesn't promise us smooth sailing. In fact, to follow Jesus is to follow him to the cross. It's about as unsmooth as you can get. It's hard being a Christian. It's hard following Jesus, but he doesn't give us what we want to hear. He gives us what we need to hear. Christians today 
I think we can often be way more focused on the end times than the current times. Like the fact that Jesus made this world better by coming into it, that's the good news. We often think the world is just, it's going to hell in a handbasket. Everything's bad. Uh, Jesus, when he comes back, nobody's going with him. <laughs> like what is happening? We're focused on all the bad and not the mission. We want to isolate ourselves in these bubbles of Christianity because the world is scary and bad. The mission is to go out into the world, go back down the mountain, preach the gospel. World changers are focused on their mission and they trust God to work out the future. Now, Jesus may not have answered their question, but he is great at redirection. Anybody who's worked with toddlers knows how to redirect, right? They both want the same toy. Oh, here's another toy and they're off right? They know how to redirect. This is what Jesus does all the time. We're so focused on one thing. He redirects us, puts us back on the right path. That's what he's doing there. He, notice he didn't really reprimand, reprimand them for asking. It's not like he said, guys, come on, get real, do better. <laughs> he just said, look, it's not for you to know, but here's what you do need to know. Now go do it, right? Now, I think at one time, <laughs> At one time, I probably thought their hearts were in the right place for asking. I, it seems like they were. They wanted Israel restored. They wanted Israel strong again. That sounds right, right? But actually, our hearts are desperately wicked. That's a direct quote from the Bible. Our hearts are desperately wicked. Who can possibly know it? Who can possibly understand the, selfish, the depths of selfishness in our souls? We think we're asking the right questions a lot, but they come from a selfish place. It's okay to long for the days when God will set everything right. Not saying we shouldn't, you know, pray for the kingdom to come soon. And Jesus taught us to do that, right? But we also have a job to do now. We can't just wait for the kingdom to come. We also have a job to do we can't just hide in the church all the time. We have a job to do outside these walls. Right? We talk about mountaintop moments sometimes. This is a mountaintop moment. They got to see Jesus rise into heaven. They wanted to camp out there and just be in his presence. But Jesus didn't say, stay in my presence all the time. He said, get back down the mountain. He said, go and tell them about me because they need my presence too. It's not all about you. As a believer, it's not all about you anymore. <laughs> Ouch, right? I want it to be all about me. We all do. <laughs> of course we do. But to follow Jesus, he lived his life entirely selflessly. That's the goal. To follow him is to deny ourselves and take up the cross not bad to long for the future, but it's not where we are now. I think ultimately they were asking, when does it get better for me? And I think a lot of us as Christians, we're trying to do God's job for him. Jesus didn't come to set up governments and military and control people. He could have, he didn't. Why are we still trying to control everything today, right? The church is meant to be altogether different different from anything else on planet earth. Jesus was so different. Always answering questions we didn't even know how to ask. 
His teachings were so radical and different from everything they were used to hearing in that day. To the, the listeners of that day, Jesus was crazy, radical, uh, barely understandable. They had to take, we've had to take centuries to let that stuff not me guys somebody else is trying to horn in here the Pharisees had everybody running around telling everyone to get their act together right the Pharisees were literally going around telling everybody the Messiah would never come and they would never be free from Roman rule um, put them back in charge of the world unless they got their act together they were heaping shame on everyone's heads making religion seem untouchable. We have, this, we have people doing this today. The Bible warns us about false prophets all over the place. Today we have these end times experts. Experts on something that hasn't happened yet. Just be wary. Someone's self-proclaimed expert on something that hasn't happened yet. But they're running around terrifying people, telling everyone to, to get their act together before the Messiah comes back to free everyone from the world's rule. It's not Roman anymore, but the world. They better watch out for the mark of the beast that you might miss the rapture, right? They're heaping shame and guilt on everyone's heads. Fear and anxiety on everyone's heads. The Pharisees were experts on messianic prophecy, on prophecy about the Messiah. They were experts. But when the Messiah was right in front of them, they missed him. They missed him. Jesus said, there are some things that are not for you to know. The, the bottom line about end times teaching is you can't know everything. It's cryptic for a reason. God wants you questioning, looking, waiting for him, right? I believe that's the purpose of it. We are meant to wait upon the Lord, to, to eagerly, anxiously look for him coming back. But we also have a job to do. And it's not to tell people bad news. It's to tell them good news. Jesus came for them. Go be my witnesses. Tell people about what I've done for you. Go tell people, go back down the mountain. Go do the job I've called you and equipped you to do. Have faith that God will work out the future. Let God do his job. He will do it perfectly in his perfect timing. You go to yours. Go back down the mountain. World changers have to go back down the mountain. We need those mountaintop moments. We need those moments in his presence. Those sometimes conferences can do this for me. Away from distractions, away from real life, right? And you just get a word from God. You get a new perspective from God. You get to worship him for a while. These, these big life-changing moments, but you can't stay there. We've got a job to do. And Jesus withdrew in prayer a lot, but he always came back out to the people. He didn't isolate himself. He always went back out to the people. He didn't stay in God's presence. He got regular doses of it. He needed that, but he went back out to the people. Now, these disciples here on this mountain, they still didn't get what God was trying to do. They couldn't see the bigger picture. They couldn't see the bigger picture. And therein lies the problem. We can't see the bigger picture. 
We can't see what God is doing in the future and don't understand what we can see in the present. Instead of Jesus answering the question that they wanted to know, he gave them what they needed. And I questioned this for a long time. God, why did, the, why did you call the disciples to the mountain? Why did they need to see you ascend to heaven? I think Jesus was not only saying what they needed to hear, but showing them what they needed to see. And we're gonna go through these quickly. Why did they get to see Jesus ascend? Number one, I think they needed closure. They needed to see that moment because they needed to put an end chapter on that and move into the next season. Right? Sometimes we can't walk into a new season because we can't let go of the old one. We keep rereading the last chapter instead of closing the book and starting a new one, right? What chapter do you need to close right now in order to be ready for what God is calling you to? Some of us, God has been telling us for months, years, maybe a decade to quit doing this one thing or to start doing something. And we're dragging our feet still. We can't close the chapter and move on. Jesus was giving them closure. Some Christians have given their lives to Jesus so many times. Every altar call, that's me, I'm in. I'm in this time for real. But they're not doing anything with it. And so they keep coming back and raising their hands again. We all need to close that chapter and move on toward making disciples ourselves. Pouring into somebody else. That's how you continue to grow as a Christian. You disciple others, develop others. We have to be brave enough to close a chapter. Jesus has raised you to new life. Didn't we just come out of a series called Made New? Right? He's made you new. Let it be old and new. Stop rereading the, the old chapter of death and destruction and move into new life. Number two, I think they needed a commissioning. They needed a commissioning, right? At some point in your discipleship walk, you have to transition from being a lamb to being a sheep, to being a producer of lambs. You have to move on always with Jesus as your shepherd, right? But maybe you'll have little lambs following you at some point. You'll bring along more disciples with you. I can't tell you when it will happen for you, but you will have to find somebody to duplicate your faith with. It can be kids ministry, youth ministry, right? It can be people at your workplace. It can be family members or friends or neighbors. Somebody. Duplicate your faith into somebody. Encourage somebody. Tell them what Jesus is doing in your life and tell them they have to come see it. They have to experience it for themselves. It's purpose Jesus gave them on that mountain. He commissioned them, right? And and. and in anything you do, <clears throat> if you don't know the purpose behind it, it's bound to get old after a while. <laughs> they needed the purpose. They needed to move from disciple to apostle. That's what Jesus was doing here, commissioning them. Number three, they needed to just go get to work. They needed to be told to get off the mountain and go get to work. They had just spent weeks looking for Jesus. <laughs> Right? He appears after resurrection and then he's gone. He appears and he's gone. Where's he gonna be next? Let's look for him, right? And knowing he had risen and waiting to see him around every corner, I think they were processing a lot over the past couple of weeks. And isn't it cool that God does allow us time to process things? 
He does these amazing big things in our lives because craziness just happened and he sort of lets you work through it. (laughs) I think that's what Jesus did the past 40 days of this story. But now it was time. At the end of John, Jesus' words to Peter, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. He says it three times. But Peter wasn't yet doing it. He hadn't gotten busy yet. He hadn't got off the mountain. He was still looking for Jesus. He wasn't feeding anyone. Jesus was saying, go get to work, guys. Number four, they needed a helper. They needed the Holy Spirit to do the job they were called to do right and well. We were never meant to do this in our own strength, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my witnesses throughout the ends of the earth. That's the job and that's the helper. Can't do it without him. And this today is exactly what the church needs. We need closure on the past. We need to stop opening the book of the past and rereading the last chapter. We need to fully step into what God has for us now. And that means choosing obedience. It means a commissioning and a purpose, stepping into that beyond just resisting the one world order and not getting the mark of the beast. We're, We're living in end times today, but it's not all about the end times. God has that. It's gonna happen whether we do anything or not. God's gonna, God handles it, right? He handles his business. He knows when it's happening. We don't, that's fine, but we do have a job to do. Knowing when it will happen does not change your job could happen tomorrow, 20 years, 2,000 years. I don't know. It doesn't change my job today. My job is to go and tell the world. I'm not hiding away until Jesus comes back. We're meant to be out there spreading the gospel on the offensive, not the defensive. Like in the past, we have defined ourselves as a church. We are vibrant, passionate, selfless, Vibrant disciples are single-minded in their dynamic life worship of God. We have to be all in, all in, single-minded and spreading the good news, worshiping our God, loving Jesus wholeheartedly. We are passionate disciples that obediently pursue Jesus. Passion produces obedience. Obedience produces passion, cyclical never met a disciple that wasn't all in passionate about obedience that wasn't extremely obedient they work together obedient disciples are passionate about it because they've seen it work we're passionate disciples and we obediently pursue Jesus we're selfless disciples that are willing to sacrifice comfort to demonstrate love we're willing to march right back into town like Paul after getting beat up and left in a ditch for dead, we're gonna get up and go right back in and keep preaching the gospel. That's the job. Selfless disciples, willing to sacrifice comfort to demonstrate love. And we change the world with the message of the gospel. Not with cool worship or lights or bounce houses or cookouts. Those things are good, purposeful. 
the job is the gospel. The way we change the world is the gospel. It needs no more than that. The only addition I ever make to that statement is we change the world with the message of the gospel by the power of the Holy Spirit, because it does need that. By the power of the Holy Spirit. We can't do this alone. I can't do it on my own strength. We can't stay in this room worshiping God forever. We weren't meant to. Heaven will be that, by the way. Someday we get to do that. We will get to worship Jesus wholeheartedly forever and ever. Heaven's gonna be loud with the worship of Him, right? It will get to be in His presence at one with the Father forever. But that's not where we are today. Today, we have a job to do. We can't stay here. Sunday is not enough. We can't do Sunday every day. Why? Because there's only Christians here. If we don't go, who will tell them? If we don't leave these doors, who will tell them? I don't... Don't come into this place, discover church, discover a home, a place to find inspiration and and the presence of God that you need and then keep it all to yourself. Get off the mountain. Go back down the mountain and be a witness. Tell people about him everywhere. We aren't the church because we all believe the same thing. We're the church because, because we have a singular purpose. Let me say that again. We're not the church because we all believe the same thing. This isn't a country club or a book club or something. We're the church because we have a singular purpose. It is a mission. It is something to do. We go out from this place. We come in, we go out. We go up the mountain, we go down the mountain. We come into church, we go out of the church. Sunday morning and then Monday morning. We don't stay here forever. Our job here is to renew our vibrancy, right? To feed our passion, to practice selflessness with each other. And then we go out those doors and we change the world. We've got a job to do. We've got a job to do. So instead of asking God, when does it get better for me? When do I get more for me? Why can't it be better for me? We should be asking God, how can I make it better for others? What's the job you have for me today, God? How can I serve you today, God? Instead of getting up in the morning and saying, God, bless me, give me a good day, let everything be good and easy, and today, give me a job, Lord. I'm ready. I have done the work of filling myself up with you. I've read my word. I've spent time in prayer. I am ready to go out into the world and do something. God, just give me a job. Come on, could bring it, right? Like go out into the world saying, come at me, bro, because I am ready. First person who even mentions church, you're getting the whole gospel. Just buckle up. We should be so overflowing with it that it's always right here, ready to spill out. Some, the, the right person stops us in the grocery store and they're getting a the whole message. That's just, it's coming out. <laughs> Why are you still standing here? Why are you still standing here staring into heaven? Jesus isn't here right now, but he's coming back. What are you gonna do to help people get ready for that? 
Not what are you doing to be ready? What are you gonna do to help others get ready? Some of us stand around sometimes doing nothing, wondering and pleading with God about what our purpose is. As a believer, you don't have to wonder. Your purpose on planet earth is to be a witness. That's the job. Tell people about what you have seen, what you have heard about who Jesus is. You are not purposeless. We have to stop being Christians on Sunday only. We need to take a page out of the Acts Church, the Apostles Church, and be the church, not just on Sunday, but every day. Live it out beyond these doors. Invite people into your home. Share your lives with them. Be open and honest and real, but always renewing your vibrancy by following the Holy Spirit. Like Peter, by feeding your passion, by being obedient like Ananias. I mean, you can get so many examples to encourage you through the word. You don't actually need much more than that. Fill yourself up with the word. Encourage the people around you in the church and then go out and be like those heroes of the Bible. Come off the mountain and be witnesses. That is how we change the world with the message of the gospel. That's the job. Stop asking the wrong question. Start asking the right one. Father, today we ask you, we're trying to ask you the right question. We humble our hearts before you. We put aside selfishness and fear. All of our insecurities, we're choosing to lay those down and just come before you and boldly, boldly, because it's, it's a brave question, but boldly we come before you, God, and we ask, what do you have for me to do today? What's the job for me to do today? Point me in the right direction of somebody who needs you. I will pray for them. I will intercede on their behalf. I will tell them the good news of Jesus Christ. How can I serve my world today? God, help us to be a church full to the brim of people asking that right question. How can I serve my world? How can I tell them the good news? Heads bowed and eyes still closed. Maybe today you're saying, I don't even know what the good news is. What is the good news of Jesus? The good news today is that Jesus came for the purpose of setting you free. That you don't have to be a slave to that selfishness anymore, that that fear, that thing that's holding you back. That he wants to set you free today. That in the sight of God, in God's presence, you don't have to feel shame, fear, hopelessness, And you might be saying, you don't know what I've done, Candace. Like, I don't deserve to be in God's presence. And the answer to that is, you're right, you don't. None of us do. I don't deserve to be in God's presence. 100% I do not deserve it. Jesus came to give it to me as a gift. He paid the price for me so that I could stand in the presence of God and be his friend. I get to call God, the God of the universe, the God who created the earth and everything in it. I get to call him a friend. I get to speak to him. He is a speaking God. He wants to whisper to your heart. He wants to encourage you and give you peace and hope for the future. We 
can access that because of Jesus. And all you have to do now is call on the name of Jesus and you will be saved. Accept him into your life. Believe in him and what he's done for you and confess it with your mouth. That is it. It is that easy to accept his forgiveness. The real adventure, the purpose, the plan for your life begins at that moment. When you can say, yes, Jesus, I am in, your real life begins. Now today I wanna offer that to you. I don't want anyone leaving this room today, going out and having fun on a bounce house before you get the opportunity to say, yes, Jesus, I'm in. I'm into following you. I'm into the forgiveness, the hope and the peace that comes with that. I'm into all of it. If that's you today and you're in this room, I'm just gonna ask you to raise your hand. I'm in. I wanna give my life to Jesus. If you're watching online, you can text the number on the screen. Even if you're sitting here in the room, you can text the number on the screen. We'd love to help you with that decision and give you all the resources you need. Anybody like that here today, raise your hand up high. I wanna give my life to Jesus. I am in. Okay. For the rest of you, Maybe you've said you're in, but you've been feeling a little purposeless lately. You've forgotten what the, the point is. Forgotten how to get off the mountain. Forgotten that this life, this walk with Jesus is selfless at its core. That we're meant to live this life for others. Preaching the gospel for and to others. And you wanna renew that within yourself. You just wanna say between you and God, I'm into that. <laughs> I'm in to the mission. I'm gonna start asking God what I can do for him rather than what he can do for me. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? Father, we pray over every single person with their hands raised today. Thank you for each decision, each move made toward you. God, I just pray that you would stir up this passion within us, this vibrancy within us, that as we go out of these doors today, you would, you would continue to stoke that fire within us. We would wake up tomorrow ready to share the gospel with somebody, overflowing with it. We would be a church full of bringers. We would bring people along to discover who Jesus is. We ask you for it. We pray for it. We bless that mission and calling in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, please let us know by going to fv.church/imn. And remember to download our app for more content and helpful links.